Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Genesis 1, 6 through 10. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered the waters, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Judges 6, 11 through 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I'm so excited about this sermon series. just to let you all know, if you missed last week, we are in the second week of a sermon series called Beginnings. In this series, we're looking at the seven days of creation as themes for which uh, how we can study how God creates new beginnings in our own lives as well. And so last week, we looked at day one where God uh, brought light into darkness using the power of his word. And we considered that into our own lives as well as ref- reflecting on the life of a man named Moses. And today we're turning towards day number two, which for me is one of the, is one of the, the more uh, bizarre days of creation. As we just heard, Genesis 1, 1-6, uh, uh, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning, second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. And let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters that he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So on this second day, God goes to that which had no form, had no order, and God begins to create order. He begins to do this by separating and stretching and pulling apart. God makes something that we in our scripture call a vault or an expanse, is what in other versions of our Bible calls that. And it seems like on the second day, what God is doing is God is starting to make room. God is starting to make room for what? Well, God needs there to be space for there to be new creation, new life. And so on the second day, what we find is that God is making space so that he can create. And this is done through separating and spreading and using this word called a vault. Now, the interesting thing, thing about this word vault is the Hebrew uh, for this word is rakaya. And it's interesting in the fact that uh, this word vault here, this Hebrew word rakaya um, literally means to, has two different meanings. One is to 
this experience of being really angry, raka. It almost sounds like it, right? Like when someone is experiencing rakaya, they're at deep anger. But the second meaning of this word means to be spread out, stretched out, almost as the word, this word has been used uh, when uh, someone is hammering out soft metal. They're rakaya. They're making a rakaya. They're, they're exp- expanding that. What I like about these two different meanings is they kind of go hand in hand in our lives. Because when we experience being stretched out, being expanded, oftentimes our response is anger, right? Like who loves the idea of God hammering you out? No one? I don't think so. But that's our experience, what we have when we are being stretched beyond our desires. Our response is what? Doubt, frustration, confusion. We don't think that God would want to do that in our life. But oftentimes, God comes to us like a master craftsman with a vision of what we could be, with a vision on the second day of what there could be, and God begins to stretch and expand things. And this is our experience on day two. This is what happens. If you truly want to experience new beginnings in your life, know that God will likely expand and stretch you beyond your desire. It's almost like the first test and how we experience new beginnings. Because this is the truth that I have observed. We all want beginnings in our life, but not many of us want to change. Right? Like we, we want newness in our life, but we don't want to change. It's almost like our prayers are, God, could you change that situation and leave me alone? Can you transform that person and keep me the same? Deal with them, don't have to deal with me. Transform them, that situation, but you can leave me out of it. But the interesting thing is, in the common denominator in all of our experiences, all of your experiences, is you. You happen to go with you all the, uh, wherever you go. And that's for better or for worse. Now, I'm not saying that everything in your life happens because of your fault. But what I'm saying is, in every situation that we go in, wherever we have a deep longing for newness, God will likely want to transform you as a part of that process. God might want to stretch you out, to expand your heart, to give you a dream beyond your your comforts and your desires. And this is why beginnings often challenge us. Even when we look back at the life of Moses, Moses had this incredible encounter with God on this mountaintop. But But God was not just wanting it to be some fuzzy mountaintop experience. Right after that, right after the light broke into darkness, God begins to stretch Moses out. Go back to Pharaoh. That's like the first words. I want to send you back to Pharaoh. And God begins to stretch Moses out, expanding him beyond his his desires. This is what God does on day two. Expansion, separation. This brings about pain. It draws out doubt within us. And frustration. And many of us, when we come into day two in our beginnings in our life, we oftentimes bail. We don't want to be hammered out. We would rather go back to status quo, where we know we would have a longing for a change in our life, a new beginning in our life, but at least we know the comforts of what life used to be. This is the first test in our beginnings. Are you willing to be stretched? And furthermore, are you willing to trust God? This was the case for Gideon, a man named Gideon. So a little background about the the scripture that we heard read just a little bit ago. The Hebrew people, they were delivered uh, into the promised land from the slavery 
in Egypt. They were delivered into the promised land, and they formed a kingdom named Israel. But then they forgot about God. They forgot what God had done. They forgot God's calling and commandments to them. They forgot the hope that they had in God. And they turned and began to worship the idols and gods of the people around them. Uh, At the same time, another nation, another people group named Midian, uh, they invaded their land, they stole their crops, they exploited uh, the Israel nation, so much so that the people in Israel, they left their homes and began living in caves. They were longing for a new beginning. They were dreaming for God to recreate the situation, bringing about life where there was no life, and they began to cry out to God. That's where we find Judges 6, verse 11. The angel Lord came and sat down under the oak. Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I think for uh, a community that was familiar with this time and place, they would see the obvious humor that's lost on us. What, what Gideon is doing in this place, he's threshing wheat, which means uh, they would gather the wheat and they would need to separate the chaff from the kernels that you could actually eat. So they would, they would go to a hilltop or somewhere where there would be a, a breeze. They begin to throw the wheat up and the, the wind would blow the chaff, separating that out, and the kernels would keep falling. And they would do that over and over again so that they would experience the sifting, which is a theme for the story of Gideon, separating, sifting. And what happens here, we find Gideon doing this work of sifting, but he's doing it in a wine press. That is the last place you would want to sift wheat. A wine press is almost like a ditch where they would, where they would, uh, they would smash the grapes and, and make it, making it into wine. And so for the original hearer of this, they'd go, why in the world would Gideon do that? Well, he was hiding. He was hiding from the Midianites. Like a middle school cafeteria, he knew there was bullies coming around about to steal his zebra cakes. The little ding-dong things. That's what I used to eat in middle school. Hence my physique. Um, uh, So he was hiding. He was wanting to make sure that the Midianites didn't take this. So it is in the context where there was sifting going on, where Gideon was hiding from his enemy. And what, is, what does God say to him? The first words God says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, that's like ancient Hebrew humor right there. Because Gideon, he's like the furthest from living that out. He was hiding. He was not looking like a mighty warrior. But you see, God is wanting to do what Gideon was doing to that wheat. God was wanting to sift him. God was wanting to expand him, to separate what was going on within his heart. And this was Gideon's response in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did, did, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon is responding in a way that many of us respond with our honest prayers to God, which is, where, where have you been? This is really your promises. Look at my life. I don't, I'm not seeing them. And notice who Gideon doubts. He's doubting God. This is just good for me to know that God is big enough for our honest prayers, our honest questions. 
verse 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? God sees Gideon's strength in the midst of his own hiding, in the midst of his own vulnerability. God is drawing something out. God is stretching Gideon beyond his desires. In the midst of that, God is saying, go in that strength that you now have. Again, Gideon responds and pushes back. Pardon me, God. Pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in all of Manasseh, and, and I am the least in my family. Gideon's saying, you, you've chosen the wrong guy. Gideon is the least likely out of the least likely. Yet what we see here is what we find in much of the scripture, what Katie Fike called a couple weeks ago, God's signature move, choosing the least likely, the lowest, and lifting them up. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon doubts himself and Gideon doubts God. Yet God will send Gideon through a time of stretching, a time of expanding, because you see, God wants to expand not only Gideon's view of himself, but also Gideon's view of God. And that will always be the case when we come up against new beginnings in our life. God always wants to stretch our view of him, and because of that, our view of ourselves, because they're usually connected. Tapas Monk and author Thomas Merton, he said these words, there is only one problem on which all of my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself, and if I find my true self, I will find him. This is a bold promise that Merton is giving to us. All of my peace, all of my happiness, wrapped up in one thing, one singular thing, finding myself and finding God. That's what Gideon's about to experience right here. Because some of us, we might be interested in discovering more about God without desire to see much more about us, self-discovery. Others might have a huge longing to know all the intricate natures of who I am because I'm so unique and special, but could care less about knowing God. But beginnings will always come to us in the singular discovery of knowing who God is, and knowing yourself in reflection of that God. Transformation happens when we are entered into a time where all of the boxes that we had God neatly and comfortably put in all of a sudden are stretched beyond that, expand beyond that. Gideon is about to see a God that he's never known, that he's never known. And in doing that, Gideon is about to see himself in a way that he's never dreamed possible. So Gideon leaves this wine press where there is, this, there is this threshing that was happening, this separating, this sifting that was happening, with a flicker of hope. Gideon then, after some tests, then he gathered some men who were of age and were willing to fight, but they had some stretching work to do. This is in Judges 7, 22 through 3. I love this story. This story is so beautiful and bizarre. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army. By the way, no human ever fears that, right? Like, oh, we're too strong. We're too powerful. We're too equipped. But God here, he takes, takes issue with that. 
So God says, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. So the group began with 32,000 soldiers. And after this invitation to go home, now it's down to 10,000. From 32,000 to 10,000. And what was the issue? God had an issue with the possibility that the people could say, our own strength saved us. What would be that problem? Well, they might discover who they were, but they would, they would have no clue who God was. They wouldn't discover who God would be, the provision that God would provide, the fact that God would fight for them. And God wanted that lesson that, that lesson to be learned on this day because that lesson would provide them entrance into a new beginning, a new chapter, a new life. And I'm sure after losing two-thirds of his army, Gideon probably thought, okay, God, got the point. You've proved it. Uh, uh, we're ready to go. You can leave us alone. But as we will find in the story, God was just getting started. In verse 4, it goes on. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out there for you. That word thin means to uh, refine, to purify. This is the work of what God does in expanding and separating us, stretching us out. Verse 5, so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Okay, so the big test is, watch the men as how they drink this water. Will they get down on their hands and knees and drink the water straight out of the river? Or will they cup their hands and drink it like this, like any normal human being would, right? Uh, and so this was, the great, this was the great test. This is how God was going to sift and to separate the people. And so imagine now Gideon watching 10,000 men drink. <laughs> How long that took, right? Sometimes us experiencing expansion in our lives, it takes time. It takes time. And so Gideon there is at the river watching this, these men come and drink. And I'm sure he's watching these men going, oh my God, please, please, Thor, we need you. Get up from all fours. We need you. Get up. And then, uh, you, you know, he gets there and drinks at the water like a dog. And then you find Timmy. Uh, Timmy, put down the, your toy lightsaber. Uh, if you want to go and drink. So, you know, Timmy there, he does that. He takes off his headgear retainer and goes down the water and drinks. Oh, no, not Timmy. And in the midst of this test, what happens is from 10,000, verse 6, 300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got on their knees to drink. 300. That's how many people were left. How did it begin? Remember that number? 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. Do you feel like Gideon was excited about the promise of this battle? No. I'm sure he thought it was over with. And do you think the rest of the army thought it was a great idea when Gideon said, okay, all of y'all, time for you to go home. We have, you know, us, the 300, the, uh, the honor society over here. You no. Know, he was not excited about that. But see, God was sifting Gideon, sifting this army, expanding and stretching them because God had a new beginning waiting for them, beyond their comfort, beyond their, their thoughts, beyond their dreams. At that point, you probably would think once again that the trust experiment was over with God. 
But see, God not only wanted to sift them through their numbers, but also God wanted to sift them by trusting in God's plan. So then God told Gideon a crazy idea. You know how friends, you have a crazy friend who you're like, hey, I've, I have this idea, and you kind of lean in. You're like, it's not a good idea. This is what God's doing now with Gideon. And if you know me well, I'm usually that friend. Come here, I have a great idea. Um, God told Gideon to surround the enemy camps at night with torches covered with charts. And when you hear a trumpet sound, everyone break the pots that cover the torch. This is the great idea, right? And so I like imagining um, Gideon pitching this idea. Okay, we're going to split, split into three groups of 100 and surround our enemies. And then we're going to have a torch and we're going to have a pot over it. And someone pipes up, well, want to go out if we have a pot over it? Don't worry about that. Just follow me here. And so uh, when you hear the trumpet sound, you grab your trumpet after you break the pot and you blow your trumpet. That's the idea. I mean, who would sign up for being a part of that battle? No one. Not a great idea. And Timmy pipes up, I brought my oboe. Can I use that? No, not a good idea, Timmy. We don't need you. But the people, they began to trusting, they began trusting who God was. In the Old Testament, when the, you hear a trumpet sound, this has always been uh, a reminder, always been a declaration, uh, a calling for God to fight for you. That's what the sound of a trumpet means for the people of Israel. It's always a calling for God to fight for you. So I love this idea that all 300 of these soldiers, their greatest weapon was their God. Their greatest place of trust was that God was going to show up for them. It was a declaration that though they were outnumbered, they could call upon God and light would break up around that camp and God would show up for them. And this is what happened in verse 22. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the enemy camp to turn on each other with their swords. They didn't even have to raise a sword. That's what happened. And this uh, Midianite this Midianite troops, they turn on each other and many of them ran, all without raising a single sword. They were defeated with an inadequate army, with an inadequate leader, with an inadequate plan, but with more than an adequate God who took the little that was left, that was all that was needed in his hand, and God brought about a victory. God created a new beginning. Remember why God needed to thin out the army? Because God said, I don't want you to think for one second that it was your strength that saved you. God wanted to write a legacy of his faithfulness and loyalty and power in the midst of Israel's trust. God wanted to create that legacy of how they were going to experience a new beginning by being completely and wholly dependent upon God, trusting God to expand them beyond their comforts, beyond their dreams, beyond their ideas, and that God was going to, in the midst of that, create something new. The beauty of some scripture that we have is it's just found in the nuance. Uh, do you know where this battle in, ended? The leader of the Midianite clan, he ran and he hid from Gideon and his troops. Do you know where they found him? He was hiding in a wine press. Full, full circle. A place where once there was a scared man frightened, hiding. It was in that place where God originally said, 
I am with you, I'm sending you, and you're a mighty warrior. Though you don't see it in yourself, if you trust me, if you're willing to trust me, I'm going to show you who you are, and I'm going to show you who I am. Where you saw yourself as a coward, you're following a God who knows you and will fight for you, and I call you a mighty warrior. This story for me is a beautiful demonstration of what God does on day two. On day two, we're, we are seeing a beginning off in the distance. We have a longing for God to make a change in our life. God comes to us with the most comforting thing of, I'm going to hammer you out. I'm going to stretch you. I'm going to expand you. If you trust me, the way you'll experience a new beginning is that God's going to move you from where you were to a place of great trust and vulnerability so that you can experience something new. Gideon and the people of Israel, they entered a new chapter of their life after this moment. Not only because of this victory, but because they knew firsthand that God would fight for them. And this powerful lesson came, through the, came to them because they were willing to be expanded and sifted and stretched. So for us, are we willing to be expanded and stretched in our life? Are we willing to release that which is needed to experience a new beginning? This is not just Gideon's experience. It comes to us. Jesus, he wants to do the same in our life where he would sift us and expand us and stretch us. Once John the Baptist described Jesus in a really unfamiliar way for many of us. This is Matthew 3, 11 through 12. John the Baptist described Jesus like this. John said, I will baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one, being Jesus, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, that refining work. His winnowing fork is in his hand. His winnowing, that's what they use for wheat. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire, sifting this is what John describes what Jesus, is due, what, G, what Jesus will do. He's the great sifter. And I used to think when I read this passage that maybe John was talking about those who are lost and those who are found in Jesus, which is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good reading of that. But I also wonder if Jesus' fork is also pointing in my direction. If Jesus looks at me in my heart and my life and out of love for me, wants to sift me, to make room in my heart for a new creation, to make room in my life for something new, to expand me, to make room within my family for a new beginning for us, in our world for a new beginning for us. And this is what Jesus does. What in your life needs to be stretched and sifted today? For that beginning that you are hoping for, longing for in this new year, what needs to be stretched and sifted Maybe it's a relationship that's holding you back. Maybe it's your frantic grasp of control that needs to be released. Maybe it's habits that God wants you to part ways with. Maybe it's a stubborn unwillingness to change. On day two, God comes to us and sees if we're ready for that new beginning by the question, are you ready to be expanded? There are many times in my life where I've waited for a change. I was hoping for a new season in my life, a new beginning. And it finally comes, but with it comes great pain and confusion. As I step into this new beginning, I, I'm riddled with doubt, with self-doubt, with doubt with God. And my prayers are like many of yours. Maybe it's, 
God, can you fast forward through this pain? Can you make this change without putting me through the fire? Yet for Jesus to create newness in our life, God will most likely stretch you and expand you. And like any birth, it comes with pain. But it leads, leads us to the promise of great joy. I heard a sociologist and author Brene Brown describe God's involvement in these moments uh, through the image of birth. She said, we want, we want God to, to numb us from the pain, to give us a shot and take it all away. But God chooses instead to be like a midwife who sits by our bed, holds us by our hands, and just says, push. I'm not going anywhere. God could be with you and the longings that you have being stretched in your own life, being sifted in your own life. And just know that God is holding your hand. God's saying, you're going to have to trust me. I'm going to have to take you out of your comfort so that we can create something new together. So I, I want to end just by talking to two different type of people in this room. There's some whose life is being stretched and sifted, and it's, it's not been by your choice. Maybe finances have been sifted. Relationships have disappeared. Purpose and plans, uh, they're gone. Joy seems to be lost. I just want to remind you that perhaps with the little bit that you have, that God can create something new. That God can do something great. Do like Gideon did. Press into God with honest prayers. Be willing to go to God with your honesty and see if Jesus can bring about something new one step at a time, walking one, one step at a time in faith and trust in God. That's one group. Another group might be people who you know you need to be stretched in your life. Maybe you're locked into a lifestyle of comfort, a lifestyle where you know you're not living your best self. You have maybe have accumulated much, and what's needed right now for you to experience this new beginning is that God wants to take things away. God wants to move you, to stretch you, to expand you, to call you out of status quo into the great unknown. The big question is, do you really want a new beginning in your life? And are you willing to trust God? This is the spiritual practice for day two. It's a simple prayer of releasing and receiving. This is what expansion does. It creates space for God to do its work. So where in your life do you need space? Where do you need to be stretched? My encouragement for us as a community this week is to do this practice, to spend some time with God in silent prayer and just allow God to review your life with you and with open hands to invite Jesus to reveal what in your life needs to be released, where God wants to stretch you, where God wants to move you. Because remember how day two ended. God saw this separating this expanding work that God used to create space, to create something new. God stood back and looked at it, and God called it good. This is what God wants to do in your life. Will you trust yourself in the hands of the great sifter?